Hey, welcome to Conversations with Titar and Tiffany. We are good trouble twins today. She didn't tell me she was wearing a shirt, so I had to go change my shirt. And we have a very special guest who I'm super excited to have on board, Jessica Denise Dixon. Welcome. Welcome to our show. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. (laughs) We're going to talk about some good things because I've been, well, Jessica and I were just trying to work it out, but we met in late 2019 and um, I've been following her on the Insta and the social ever since. And she's been doing some great work. She has an incredible background, really interesting and diverse. (laughs) Mind the pun. Um, (laughs) And as you know, here, we have real and raw conversations. And today we have a moment. What? Tita moment. Oh, Tita moment already? Oh, and Tita moment. Tita moments. which I'm sure we'll, f- we'll have one today. But let's just dive right in. Jessica. Yes. You were just, okay, so where do we start? Where do we start? Where do we start? Well, let's start where we start. Let's talk about your background because you've had a really interesting background working with police, right? Police security on university, camp- like, grounds. Like, yeah, well, you just go. Go for I'll it. Go. Go. I'll just dive in. <laughs> So my background actually is in higher education. And so now I'm working full time. I run my own business. But way back when I was a full time professional in higher education and I worked on the student affairs side of the of the college campus life in residence life where I lived on campus with the students, worked on campus. I was a first responder. So I did a lot of work, you know, really co-creating with the campus police on what it looks like for us to support students. During that time, I also was responsible for planning, you know, training and and professional development opportunities for um, both the student and professional staffs at the different campuses that I was at. So I did that really after I got my master's degree. So my master's degree, I got it in 2010 in counseling. I was a school counselor for a bit, hated it, but would have stayed for the money because I was making like good money right out of grad school, like first job, like, you know, I'm making bank, like I don't have to worry about much, but I got laid off. My position was removed and a few other people's positions were removed. And so there were like three or four of us that just got laid off. And of course I was the last in, so I was the first out and blah, blah, blah. Um, That brought me back into higher ed. And so in 2011, I got a full-time job in higher ed. um, And that's where I did so much of that work. But I would even take a step back and say, it all started in my college days when I was an RA. I was a resident assistant. I lived on, you know, with the, with the, my freshman halls who I absolutely adore. I got, when I got hired, I got placed in a, in a residence hall or a dorm. I didn't want to be in. It was like the only place I was like, do not put me here. And they're like, Hey, we have a job to offer you. And it was all freshmen. And I was like, I don't know if I can do that. They were just like freshmen are like young and dumb and, you know, just like undeveloped brains. I knew that. Um, 
but I fell in love with every single one of my residents for the almost three years that I was an RA. So during that time is when I started to really dive into what is intersectionality and, you know, what is, what is privilege and, you know, how do my identities impact the ways that I am being in the world? Cause we had to go through, it was either a zero credit or one credit class, but it was mandatory. If you were going to be an RA, that was just all about us. It was all about our identity development. So that when we did start to have more of these conversations with our residents and with other staff members that we were actually really equipped. Mm. So that's kind of where it started for me. Ah, that's interesting. What yeah. college did you go to? University of Michigan. Oh, yeah. go green, go blue, go blue, <laughs> go blue. Yeah, <laughs> I love go blue. Okay, anyway, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so now you you're a coach. You're a leader. Well, you always have been, but now you have your own business um, yeah. and you do a lot of work. Well, your your community is Life on Vulnerability, which I want to dive into, which I, yeah. I love. And you're also doing something called Disrupt the Narrative, which is where I was like, oh, my God, we have to get her on the show because um, you were disrupting. You were disruptive. You weren't, all, you know, like especially for the white people. Yeah, she was speaking out. You're waking people up, which I thought was was awesome. So, how does that, like, with all your experience, you know, and your background, and thanks for sharing about how it all started. Like, how does that inform your work now, along with the Enneagram, which I'm, I've done. I can't remember what I am, Mm -hmm. but I I would love to like for you because it's such an important part of important part of your work like share tita do you know what your enneagram is i can't remember yeah there's a seven there somewhere (laughs) okay is that is that is is there it's a thing it's a thing yeah (laughs) with a seven with like a is there does it go positive and negative with the the second number that kind of well you can so sometimes um, you'll get a result and it will say that you have a specific wing. So it could be. Yeah, a wing. Yeah. So I you, think I'm a wing, a two. Uh, oh yeah. yeah, that's so that's not a thing. And then. Okay, we can talk more about that. Seven, yeah. I think seven permit. See, now y'all going to make me. I know I have a thing. <laughs> but back to before, yeah. but back to what Tiffany um, was saying about disrupting and. Um, doing that work prior to, or maybe it's in conjunction with the vulnerability work. Um, I know she's going to have you dive in there, but I'm more curious because maybe even the audience is curious, like, but what made you even decide to disrupt and made you decide you need to uh, wake people up? Because there was something that initiated that for you, right? Because not- There was, there because was. Because black doesn't mean you're going to go disrupt. You know, there's some black people who- are not comfortable with that. So, so I want to know more and maybe if you want to know what made yeah. you think. Oh, I love this. I love this question. 
So I, after I, le I left higher ed in July, 2019, and I worked for someone for a little bit, it didn't work out. And when I left January of 2020, I was like, I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to do Enneagram coaching. You know, really my, my goal when I was starting my business is that when black women heal, that the world heals. Mm. And so I always knew coming in that that was going to be part of my work and that there was no way that that could not be. So that was the one thing I was clear about Enneagram. And then when black women heal, that the, I believe that the world heals. Oh, I have goosebumps. Oh yeah, my gosh. I, I, I that in the comments because that was yeah. Cool. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Um, and so I kind of like jumped in March and then everything shut down with COVID. And I was like, well, how am I going to build a business? There's no networking events. There's no, I can't do the things that I was planning on doing to build this business. And my coach um, at the time was Trudy LeBron. And she was like, well, Jessica, do people know about your business? And I was like, what do you mean? Do I, so I, I have to tell people about that wild right like it's like oh my gosh I've been you know doing the education piece for so long I mean when I was in higher ed I built curriculum uh, I I uh -huh. taught university level classes and so you know I I was responsible for week-long weeks-long trainings for people you know to make sure that they had all the education and the tools that they needed the skills that I had for doing you know making sure that every, every one got what they needed were, were there, but the whole running a business piece, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And so I started to put myself out there in May last year. I did a 35 for 35 where I was like, Hey, I'm starting a business. Like I want to invite 35 people to work with me. And for, for me, that was like a really important thing because it's like, Oh my gosh, you could work with anyone to teach you about the Enneagram or anything you could work with anyone but why would you ever decide to work with me and I needed to put myself out there and invite people in so I got into the habit of inviting people in and even just telling people what my prices are because you know building a business or going from higher ed we're like yeah there's like a specific you know I used to do university housing assignments there's a very specific price for that and it's not changeable and you know it just is what it is and it's not set by me so I don't I don't have any yeah. emotional <laughs> reactivity yeah. about talking to people about it at all. Um, and so that month, really, I, I started writing posts and I really started getting used to using my voice to invite people in and to invite people in to work with me and to invite people into what is potentially a new world or a new, a new life. And then at the end of May, George Floyd was murdered. And the world watched and I refused to watch the video and I still, I won't do that to myself. Um, in the past, I have watched the videos. I even wrote a post about this um, afterwards, but I, I, I refuse to watch. I just, I can't take in that, that level of trauma. You know, I already, when anything happens to a black man or a black woman or, you know, a trans person, non-binary, I wonder what, limits my freedom now has mm. I remember after Ahmaud Arbery mm. was murdered and I a few blocks down there's a house under construction and I was like "Ooh," I was like I want to kind of like peek in and see like where they're doing where they're at and I panicked I viscerally like almost had a panic attack like no 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 
a black man was killed for looking at a construction site. You can't do that. That's not for you. It's not for you. So it already has that. And then, you know, George Floyd was murdered and it was just, it was cruel and unnecessary. And when, I mean, my heart was broken. It's not the first time, not the last time, but it was an important moment in the world where the world's heart broke open and the world was able to see it. And I, you know, I, for all that we talk about COVID, one of the benefits, one of the beautiful things was that people were going slow enough to pay attention. Yeah. To know that this thing happened and it's unacceptable. And what else are you going to put your, like, there was so much unemployment, people weren't doing much. It was kind of like the perfect storm for people to awaken and to arise. And I had not had no intentions on doing this Disrupt the Narrative program until it started to pick at me. And it started to like call to me and I'm like, uh, I guess I'm going to do it. So I think I did like two, I wrote two posts about it. I took applications. I, you know, only invited a certain amount of people, like specific people who actually like had thorough applications to enrollment calls. And I ended up enrolling nine white women into Disrupt the Narrative, which was a nine month Mm. anti-racism program. That was founded in Enneagram work. Mm. Interesting. I love it. It was anti-racist because Tiffany knows I talk about there's a difference between, oh, I'm not racist versus I am anti-racist. Being anti-racist is, it's it's an active identity that we live into. It is not this passive, I'm just not something. It is active, it is alive. It is is something that changes, that you know, is, re, is reactive and responsive to what is needed in the times that we are in. So it's not, I agree that it's not okay to just say I'm not, well, I'm not racist. Well, okay, so what does that mean? Right. And, right. And, I, and I really, you know, the more I, the more I coach, the more I develop my business, the more I talk to people and the more I see that if you are not building in active dismantling of systems of oppression and, and, and actively doing your own dismantling of internalized white supremacy and anti-blackness, what you're doing is setting people up to survive in a white supremacist world, but that's not the way to change anything. Yeah. And so it's up to us to to all always be actively dismantling that within ourselves so that we do not perpetuate oppression because you know this and that work is not just for white people because the context that we're in I talk about white supremacy or the white supremacist patriarchy as an inherited context so when I speak to people when I'm teaching about it those are the words that I use because I think it's really helpful to know, like it's not about you actively lighting a cross on fire on a black person's lawn. Like that's, it's not about that. It's about, there's a context that we, that you were born in, mm-hmm. that you were socialized into, mm-hmm. that you did, didn't have any part in crafting. And probably your parents didn't have much part in crafting their own 
because they didn't know, right? You don't know what you don't know. And so it's an inherited context that we all are born into, or, or if you move to the United States or you live in a colonized place, you get to, you know, the opportunity to really see like how this plays out. But it's something that we all have to unravel because it colors every part of, of our existence, including our, our nervous systems. And I talk a lot about our nervous systems and our reactivity and so in Disrupt the Narrative, the whole point was to do this Enneagram work to see how do the fears of your Enneagram type, how do the motivations of your Enneagram type, how do they impact how you show up in the world around being anti actively anti-racist? And then, you know, one of the things that we came back to time and time again is what's happening in your body. Because yeah. I truly believe that the body holds so much truth. It also holds trauma. Yes. And sometimes if we're not, if we don't know the difference, then we will go on thinking like you were just like living our truth when we're just living like trauma from white supremacy. And I think that that's an important thing to name. You know, our sense of safety comes from actually upholding systems of oppression and white supremacy. Mm -hmm. And we can't ignore that because that is how, you know, if, if we don't fit in, we're going to be cast out. That's, it's literally a survival, um, you know, technique or way of, of way of surviving literally is like upholding this to make sure that we fit in, that we're not left aside, that our people don't leave us because we need connection, you know, to survive. And so that was one of the big things that came through. And, uh, you know, my, my business being super, you know, super new, um, but the work that I'm doing, not being super new, I started teaching the Enneagram in 2013. My first diversity program that I put on when I was an RA back in the day was like 2005. You know, so this has been a part of my life for a really long time and walking people through, um, you know, a curriculum, walking people through, this is how you get from A to B to C to D and knowing that, you know, having perfected that, you know, and, and in, in the ways that you can perfect such a thing um, for a long time. But the business part, whoo, that was like super new. So this year, what I've really created is this life on vulnerability community. And what it is, it's essentially a small, it's like a, like a group program, like a, but it's really a community because everyone's coming at a different point. So if you've gone through one of my programs, like Disrupt the Narrative or Rediscovering You or Free Yourself, I've had a few programs, then when you come in, um, you, you'll have some live lessons. So every month, if, whether you're new or, or you've worked with me before, you're going to have a, one lesson on the Enneagram, one lesson on liberation, because I think anti-racism is way too small of a goal. Liberation is the goal. And anti-racism is something that must be taken on to get to liberation. So it's part of it, but anti-racism isn't in and of itself the goal. We want a free world. Mm. We want a free world. And then embodiment. So every, every person who comes in will get a lesson on that. And it's, it's just a six month minimum, but it's really about how does my personal liberation how does that lead to collective liberation? So that's always the question we're asking, wow. even when someone's talking about their own personal stuff or something around their Enneagram type. It's like when, when we create more space for our own humanity, 
how then do we bring that into the world? Because racism and other forms of oppression are very much a matter of dehumanization Mm -hmm. and, you know, dissociation from our bodies. So part of, part of this work is actually reclaiming our relationship with our bodies. And part of that is actually looking at the historical context of our bodies. What does my body say about how I might be privileged or not have privilege or have a historical, um, uh, context of, of, of being marginalized or oppressed and how does that how I show up in my body? Exactly. Yeah. And so part of our work is not just, you know, there's, there's embodiment teachers who, you know, they'll help you get into your body or they'll help you find your sexuality and a lot of things, but this is much more, I, I feel comprehensive where it's not just about like you loving your body. It's actually about you dismantling these systems of oppression that say that your body has to look a certain way, has to be a certain way that come from white supremacy, that your body has to show up a certain way. Like you have to be a certain way in the world in order to uphold those. So it's always looking through the, those three contexts. And so that is this new community that I have. And I was going to, I was relaunching Disrupt the Narrative and I was like, I don't know if that is as helpful as, and, 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 and when we finished the nine months, I mean, those women, the, the transformation that they went through and just seeing how they were thinking about things so differently than they were before. Oh my God. It was like the biggest gift to me. And I, mm. I absolutely love them. They know, like I dote on them all the time, like <laughs> so much because it's like, you know, it would be easy to, to just be like, Oh, I'm just going to read another book. Let's yeah. They, book. they did the work with you. They went through the hard, they did the hard work, right? Hard. That's powerful. Looking at yourself really honestly is something that the Enneagram gives you Mm. because you can create distance from yourself a little bit. And so, you know, the Enneagram is, it's about our motivations and our type arises as this like survival personality mechanism. Mm-hmm. So our type arises to make sure that we're safe, to make sure that we're protected and the Enneagram, the language around it and learning about it, it actually gives us space to actually step out almost outside of ourselves and look. And that helps us not have so much reactivity when we're doing this work, because of course this work's going to bring up a ton of reactivity. And one of the things in any of my groups is that you're responsible for your own react- reactivity. I'm not responsible for that. So you better come correct. And that doesn't mean to not have reactivity. It means when you notice that you're reactive for you to actually say that, to raise your hand, to type it in the chat, to let me know so that we can actually spend some time there. Because so much of what people are triggered around, you know, if, if, if we're not looking at it could be like these fears around what it means to disrupt white supremacy Mm -hmm. and not even real fears, you know, white supremacy matters because it's a context that we all live in, but it also, there's something much, a a much more, uh, I think truer, um, way that our souls were made to flourish than, um, doubling down and holding on to, and, and maintaining a relationship with white supremacy. So I don't know what I just said. No, yeah, all the time. Like that's not we weren't made for that. Like that's why that's not the purpose of us being here was about white supremacy or racism or mm-hmm. whatnot. So that's why there's so much discord. Discord, right? There's that's why there's so much destruction 
because that's not how we are supposed to live as humans. That's not what our soul is supposed to be like, even for the racist person. The reason why they're feeling so um, disconnected, they're misaligning those feelings and thinking it's because of whatever it is that has to do with the black race that they're being racist towards, right? But it's just because their soul is so disconnected. They're so distorted um, that they don't even, delusional, they, they don't even really understand what's going on. And so it's easy to just still play into the white supremacist behavior or just, I'm just going to go ahead and be racist towards this person. I don't know why I am, but I'm just going to be because uh, that's easier. And it, it, it just, it, it explains why I'm struggling is because these other people are making it hard for me to exist, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love the way Jessica, you're talking about like, there's this real, there seems like this, this real um, depth into the layers of the way that people can look at look at themselves and really analyze and get to know themselves and their conditioning and their biases and their reactions and their mm-hmm. triggers through such a holistic lens. Can you can you give us like a, if possible, a quick summary for those that aren't familiar with the Enneagram at all? Yeah, now you want me to, I want to go look for mine now. Oh my gosh. Well, yes, the Enneagram. <laughs> and I, you know, I found it in 2013. I had, um, I was just starting to work full-time with professionals. So I supervised student staff before and I was supervising professionals and I was responsible for training them. And I was like, oh shit, I better come correct. Can I swear here? Yes. Well, I, I say you can. Tita's a little bit more politically correct, but you have my permission. I swear all the time. I swear. (laughs) Yes. I'll try not to drop anything too serious. Yeah. (laughs) Believe me, believe me, we need the seven second delay. Beep, um, beep. No, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Be yourself. That's what this is about. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So I was just starting to super, and I, I was doing this training and I wanted to do something that I felt like would really honor them. I was in my mid twenties and some of the people I was supervising were in their like seventies. So they, they were like significantly older than me. And I was like, what can I give them? I mean, Finder is nice. And Myers-Briggs tells you something about yourself, but I was just on the hunt and I just did a Google search. It brought me to a PDF that didn't have an author that talked about the Enneagram. And I fell in love with it. I was like, oh, because what I loved, I didn't feel like it blew smoke up your ass. No. And, and the thing about the Enneagram is that it's going to, it, it talks about who you are at your worst, but also who you can be in the world. And that's really like our lost essence, you know, that we, who, who we're made to be like this divine reflection and the ways that it just gets messed up because of trauma. Some Mm. people would say sin, but I, you know, I think that trauma is a much more accurate, um, you know, inherited trauma than this inherited context. It really messes us up. Um, And so our type, it, it builds protections for us. And so that we can try to keep ourselves safe. So if you think of each Enneagram type, it's like a way that we protect ourselves. I, for example, I'm a type eight. Sometimes the type eight is called the challenger or the protector. This core fear of harm or betrayal um, is present. 
And so the desire is really like aliveness and to create a life and to have an impact. But the mm-hmm. fear is, is it creates this protection and it creates protection through um, the type creates protection through the passion. So this passion is, it's kind of like a, a lower heart or emotional quality that kind of runs each type. For the type eight, it's lust, which does not necessarily mean having a lot of sex. It can, <laughs> it can, but it doesn't necessarily, right? That's not the point. Uh-huh. It's this, when you think of having like a lust for life or like this intensity, this like, mm. this, this, you know, I let, I want to have more and, you know, that energy that's always going out into the world. Um, that's the lust that is um, the passion of the eight. There's also... Um, the fixation that each type has, which is a mental habit. And the fixation for the eight is, is this vengeance, this um, you've hurt me. And therefore I'm going to make sure that you are hurt. It's, it's, it's a, it's a thought habit, but of course our thoughts, if you know anything about beliefs impact the way that we, that we show up in the world. Yeah. Um, so you could use that for, cause that's interesting to bring, sorry, did I interrupt you? No. Oh, to, um, I mean, I know you're not doing quote unquote the disruptive program right now, but you use the Enneagram for the anti-racist work, right? Yeah. Oh, I still do. I still do one-on-one intensives with people like, and in, in our pro, in our, in in our community, we're still doing it, you know? Okay. Okay. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I remember what mine is now. I couldn't find mine, but I went to go look at (laughs) <laughs> so look at them to see if I can remember the names to the numbers. So event seven, I was right, adventurer. And then the wing was actually, I think, three. So the wings would be a number on each side. So the wing would eat for a seven, would either be a six oh, or maybe eight. it was an eight. Yes. Might I think it was eight. a seven and then the wing was an eight. Okay. Yeah. Which is so a how do people? And leader people, just so you know. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so how do people get their Enneagram? What, what do they do to go and get it? So people can take tests. I say tests aren't great, but people love tests. So I say go for it. I think the best way um, is to read descriptions and, and find what's happened in your body when you're listening. Ooh. Where, cause I, you know, one of the things that I talk about is like that we have so much knowing in our bodies when we slow down to actually pay attention to them. Now, whether that is something that actually is like a trauma that's being triggered, like our bodies hold truth. Now, whether the truth is that this trauma is impacting me right now and I can't deal with that, or there's a deeper truth that's, that's real for me. We, it always is going to tell us something about ourselves. So I do think that reading descriptions, feeling into our bodies and seeing like, what is the sense that I have about how this type is in the world? And do I resonate with that is the best way. Mostly because tests are like less, less than 50% correct. Correct. And so when people do take tests, I actually ask them to look at their top three results and to look from there to see like what in these top three might be, because it brings up the rate like a lot more. I, I, anytime I test, I almost, I think like 80% 
of the times there are a lot of tests out there these days type yeah. as a type two. Oh, and you're an eight and I'm an yeah. eight. And it took me actually a few years to get to that. So another thing I like to tell people is that the Enneagram, uh, it's a journey, you know, and people are like, Oh my God, I need to look at my type. I'm like, why? Unless you're going to do the work, like knowing your type might have value and it might not, you know, but like the Enneagram, what it is, is a dynamic system that helps give you a path to your healing. So as a type eight, going back to, to me, (laughs) the way that we get freedom, you know, is through, um, embracing our heart, Mm. all the, I'm afraid that you're going to hurt me. You know, the, when, the way that we show up with this intensity, it's all this heart protection Mm. where there's this deep, <laughs> I found for real. Sorry, because I actually found my real one. I lied. I was. <laughs> She's excited. I'm sorry. I actually found it. Okay. Oh my gosh, I love it. So I'm gonna finish yeah. this down. Then I want to. Okay. Yeah, yeah, go. I want to yeah, hear it. Yeah. So, so for for the eight, our path is to tap in to our heart more, to actually let ourselves feel what's there. So sometimes we're, we are in what's called, there's three centers of intelligence within the Enneagram. And um, so it's the body center, the gut center, which takes in through what are my visceral reactions? That's where the eights, nines, and ones live. And um, the primary um, emotion there is anger. And eights have a quick expression of anger um, that often hides fear, right? sadness, Mm -hmm. So it comes out in anger, but that ain't necessarily what it actually is. Mm. And so for the eight, it really is this, like, how can I be in touch with my heart and know that even if I get hurt, I will be, I will be able to heal. You know, even if I get hurt, that doesn't mean that I am utterly broken because there is this tender heart that is, is just terrified of being shattered within the type eight. And so sometimes are total assholes to be real honest and don't do their Enneagram work and they just add more protection on. And some of us are doing our work and we let go of some of the protection and we get better protections that actually allow for more flexible boundaries that we actually allow people in. And so we each have our work. And so we utilize all of that in anti-racism work because how is that going to impact how I show up for a type eight, you know, me being out of touch with my heart and just showing up and kind of being like a bull in a China shop (laughs) is going to, it's going to be problematic in communities if I'm not actually doing my own work, right? You, You can't just go into a community thinking like, oh, I know it's best. I'm just going to go in there and get stuff done. So if an eight's not aware of that, and if, and if an eight's not in touch with their heart when they're going in to do this active anti-racism work, it's just not going to be pretty. It's going to show up as harm. And that's true of each of the types. Right. When we show up when what we think of is our strength, which is usually just survival, which is not a bad thing because we need to survive. We need an ego structure. We need, we need to make sure that we're safe and we're sound. So it's not a, a bad thing. I don't say that in a shaming way. You'll find 
people find when they work with me that I don't really have shame about any parts of our humanity because we were, we're made to be human. So, you know, we resist different parts of our humanity and that's okay. Um, but, you know, when any type, when a person of any type tries to go in without actually being aware of like, what is my personal work? Um, right. It's going to create harm. Well, I see that on conversations I have with another group when you're not, when, especially when the white individual is not aware of how they're responding to, to facts more than not and qualitative data from people who've experienced, uh, but resist that. It's just like, wow, that is not helpful at all. And so it's like, I don't know what needs to be done, but there needs to be some work. There needs to be work, first of all, why you want you want to be on these conversations because you're saying that you want to be an ally, but why are you resisting right. when you're being told the truth? So yeah, there's definitely, to be an ally, you have to do your work. <laughs> you have to do your work. You have to do your work. Cause yeah, yeah. that's where it starts. <laughs> it totally starts with your inner work first. Like, yeah. And it has to, and it's, because it, it's one of those things like, so, so going back to the type eight, right? If a type eight goes barging into a community thinking they know it all, you know, that whole, like, I'm, I'm white. So I'm an expert thing that, you know, is part of the, this white supremacist patriarchy. You're mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> welcome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're going to F some stuff up. And so what we do is we look at all of those things in tandem. We look at like, how is your personality showing up? How, what parts of white supremacy does it tend to cling on to to Mm -hmm. find its safety and its survival in the world? Totally, yeah. 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 Because white white supremacy, whether you're aware aware of it or not, and even as you dismantle it, as you dismantle it, you see more and more how indoctrined you are, but how much it serves you. And it's scary. Like mm-hmm. it, it can, it can be scary because Tita and I talk about this all the time. Like when we, when we come across or see or have experienced the anger that comes from, well, particularly in my experience, white men, like they get so anger, angry. Right. Yeah. And, and what I hear from you saying is like underneath that, you know, is fear is deep fear, yeah. you know? So I think, you know, no matter how much you feel like you're, I don't even like this word, but everyone uses it woke, right? Awake, conscious, doing the work. In my experience, like I'm still continuously getting it wrong, dismantling, catching my own thoughts, you know, like it's it's so prevalent there that I I think it's lifelong work. And I don't care how, especially as a white person, like how, I'm going to say it again, woke you are it's so ingrained in us. Like you, you, you got to keep looking and searching and digging deeper. And it's like, you keep pulling back those layers. Right. So I love that you use the Enneagram to like really understand who you are and how, how to navigate, honestly, like the, the tough and courageous conversations. Yeah. Cause that's where, that's where it starts yourself. And then having the, 
Yeah, go, go ahead. Oh, no, I was, I was just going to agree with you on it being lifelong. And I say it has to be lifelong for you because the skin's not going anywhere. And the, the skin that's seen as a threat is still seen as a threat to some. And so if it's lifelong for me, it can't not be lifelong for you. Right. And or like they're trying to rewrite history and they don't some governors don't want us to talk about um, racism or slaves because they don't want to traumatize the white kids. Um, Do you understand that if they if we live in it still and the black kids are living uh, racism every day that why can't those kids learn about it? Because hopefully those are the kids that will be able to really shift for us right? Because they'll see the evilness of that. They'll understand it at a younger age. They'll really get the real history and maybe can make change. Oh, that's because you actually right now in power don't want that to happen. Don't put it on the children won't be able to be resilient or handle it. Actually, it's probably the children that would be able to make the change and shit. But I have a question for you. Um, Because in the newsletter, what really I was like interested. I don't know if you saw our newsletter, but you were in there. (laughs) (laughs) You were in it. And um, and so I know you guys know each other, so you had your own conversations. But let me pull it really quick because there was something that Tiffany had wrote in the um, newsletter that I thought was really, um, I was looking forward to hear your perspective on because I did. I, yeah. Okay. So this is the one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, oh, we'll be discussing white, white tears and how it doesn't help and what you can really do to be an ally. I've been in conversations where, you know, the white women end up crying, having the, you know, we're having the tough conversation mm-hmm. and so forth. And I don't know, and people can say, oh, that was wrong to, I don't know. I'm not, I, it's challenging. I'm not the compassionate type to be like, oh, it's okay. Because I'm like, no, that's great. I don't know, there's, you're crying for something. So something is something, I don't know what it is, but I can't, I personally can't like hug it out when I'm speaking the truth to you we're having this tough conversation and i've been too complicit or too adapting to make you exactly. the white person feel comfortable yeah. and then guess what three weeks later you're doing the same thing, same thing. Yeah. so i know so that that doesn't serve you that white person so i'm just curious to hear what you mean by that specifically for our audience because and what your take on white tears um how did you put it white tears and how it doesn't help and what you can really do to be an ally i want to hear more of your perspective on that if that's okay yeah. to, i don't know if you're still yeah here. no well let me give it some context because i wrote that based off and i'm glad you brought that up because i would have forgotten <laughs> to, to share it so i brought that up because Um, It's something I wanted to raise with Jessica because she did this amazing post back in January about white um, 
I can't remember the exact quote, but it was something about like the good white girl. Like, don't we're not okay with the good white girl. Do you remember it? It was newsflash. Nobody cares if you're a good white person. That's it. And of course, it stopped me in my tracks. And I I'm a good white girl. I want to be a good white girl. Like I really do. Like I do. And I have cried. Like I have cried. Like Tita, when when we met, I didn't cry, but I was like devastated when you like showed me the way things were, right? Like, and you were very compassionate and and forgiving. Maybe things have changed. You're not as <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's such a good like the way that you wrote it yeah go ahead because I know you've got a lot to say about this so I do that was like I think that post went like viral for me it had like hundreds of shares I was like whoa I was like this is very interesting um but I mean the premise was that some people they show up and they give their good white person resume. What I, that's what I call it. They're like, I had a, uh, I dated a black girl in high school. Uh, so I had a black friend. I had a black neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. I know that one black person, one black person in your life. Yeah. (laughs) And so people do that. And then they show up sometimes often so much so that it's, so predictable that every black person has had this experience that I've spoken to where something is shared about race and then a white person will come up and they will tell a story completely unrelated to anything that the black person shared um oh oh my gosh you know my 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 daughter's best friend's mom is black and yep. I'm like, <laughs> so what am I, why, why, why are you giving this, this gift to me Bye. to hold? Why are you telling me this story? And I just find that there's, it's almost like a, it's a way of trying to relate, but it's like a false, um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a false relativity. It's not real. Um, and instead of that, there is a way of being that we, that, you know, white people, that we all can take on and practice, which is being fully human. And part of the work that I, you know, do, or, you know, when I'm working with people doing anti-racism work, because I do a lot of work with organizations um, and, and groups still, and it's talking about our emotional intelligence. Mm. Now, most white people are not taught to have emotional intelligence around these things. Right. So they show up thinking if I just cry, everything's going to be okay. And yeah. I'm not saying that that's even a conscious thought. Right. 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 But, but right. I'm saying that unexamined beliefs, that unexamined um, ways of being that we have inherited, that's, that's one of the, that's one of them specifically right. for white women. And um, so it's always something to really look at because I think it's really important. Your, your emotions as a, as a white person, I, I, would, I would never say your emotions don't matter. I would never say that you crying is, you know, that you should not cry about something. Right. If something is touching you, you should cry, but you should know whether that is reactivity 
from your white supremacy, internalized white supremacy being triggered, or if you're actually really in touch with the person. And if you don't know, then you need to do that work before you even talk to, think about talking to another black person or a person of color who has shared their story. And that is work that is often missed. It is missed. And part of doing a book club, book clubs are great. I, you know, I have a post called uh, Black Squares and Book Clubs where I just like go off on people who just like put up Black Squares last year. And that was a whole thing. Oh, and, I did that too. Yeah. And they're just, there. And, mm-hmm. and are, yeah, and are just doing these book clubs because book clubs, they, they ha- can have value, but they often don't lead to the, the personal work that people need to do to dismantle, internalize. I say to people all the time, we can burn every system down and build it from scratch. But if you don't do your own internal work, right. you're always going to just rebuild it in the same ways with the same amounts of bias and internalized white supremacy, anti-Blackness and privilege and oppression. Right. You're, if you're not doing that work, it's always going to come back to that. And it's it always going to, to look the same. It has to be the human work. I it think is. It, it has is. to be the human work. And that's why I say that there's something better, right, than just being a good white person, which is being fully human. And right. when it, the part, I see part of anti-racism work, part of it is actually just like reclaiming the fullness of our humanity. You know, we have dissociated mm. people are, you know, of, of all, all colors, all races, we have dissociated and disconnected from our bodies for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. So we get to re we get to reconnect. (laughs) And when, and, and part of, and I, I don't know if I actually posted this, but one of the things I've been thinking about lately is that if we are disconnected from our own bodies, how can we say that the black man deserves his body to be loved? That actually just leads to performative action. And I don't want, I don't want anyone's self-love to be performative. And I don't want anyone's love of me to be performative. Right. I want it to be arising from their embodied experience of what they truly believe about the world. And if you can't cultivate that within yourself, how can you cultivate it out in the world? Oh, you give me chills again. My drop. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. So good. Okay. So much good stuff in here. Before yeah. we wrap up, there's way more questions, but I, I guess yeah, I feel, I feel like too. Jessica. I feel like we need to get you back here again because this is like. I, and let me see. tell you what I was really quick. Yeah, look, what's your enneagram? Oh, yeah. I know you're dying to to tell Jessica. Yeah. So what's your I was absolutely wrong. I was completely on the wrong side of the <laughs> diagram. Oh. Um. So actually, I'm a three, the achiever is mm. my, and my wing is, I was right. Remember I said, I think my wing was a two. <laughs> so my wing <laughs> is the two, the helper. Okay. So whatever that is, but anyway, <laughs> I mean, I remember what, reading What was it. your first one? What did you say your, the first one was? A what? The achiever. The achiever. The three. Achiever, three. Three. And then the wing is to the helper. Okay. And I tell and I tell people you don't even need to worry about your wings until you really understand like your core type. Yeah. And I remember reading and you know once I and I was like okay and other 
not the same, but just similar different things. I, it all, it all seems to align very well. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it wasn't surprising to me, I guess I should say when yeah. I was reading the definitions and understanding, um, pieces of that. And now I'm actually, but I know we need to go, but it's interesting because I also think that these, um, I think these tools are, uh, instrumental as long as you don't get too hooked because I think sometimes people can just get hooked that's that's how I am that's how I am that's how I am and not you know be flexible in what they need to do depending on the situation right but I would say that because we still we didn't get to talk about the healing piece of the black women to then the world will heal oh so we yeah let's no we're gonna so do have to have you back on yeah but that's to the point of that oh wait but wait 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 because the go, point go. of that is <laughs> <laughs> if you don't, if you are so traumatized and you have a lot of brokenness, these tools can't help you because it, you can't, like you're saying, embody, you can't connect and relate like, oh, these are some of my abilities and strengths that are coming through because I know I've done these things before. And even though now when I'm doing them again and I still see that the alignment is the same, I could not before I was just, it was just like imposter to me. I was like, this is, this is baloney. I'm not achiever. I don't, how am I achiever when I'm not even doing what my soul wants to do? But that's also because I had a lot of trauma, right? Inside. So I couldn't connect my achieving um, as something that is a gift because I felt like I was failing all the time, but it was really the trauma, the depression, the anxiety from just life things I've experienced. And as Tiffany knows, I was raised in a white environment. So I know there was a lot of stress and anxiety that came from that. Yeah. So, you know what I'm saying? So you- Can I say also <laughs> sometimes, and I have a thing about this and I, I really, I really am going to work on writing an Enneagram book. And I keep telling people this, Thank like- you because I'm actually speaking at the International Enneagram Association um, conference this year on anti-racism. And I'm super excited about that because I think it's really important for us to be able to talk about that. Cause some of the descriptions, oh my gosh, like if you don't, if you are not, if you don't resonate with the, really what is a description of the high achieving, like smooth talking white male who works their way up the ladder. It's hard for women and especially women of color and especially black women to find themselves in the Enneagram. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I take it back. I mean, I remember when I, you know, when I first tested, I tested as a two and it took me a few years to get to eight, but that was partly because these descriptions of the type eight were these, what I would call like violent, toxic, masculine, white male descriptions. And I was like, how is any woman and any woman of color gonna find themselves in this? Because this describes that, that angry white man that we all know who just like bulldozes over everyone and everyone hates, but that's not the average type eight. Right. And so every, you know, if you, if you are ever going to do Enneagram work, you really got to check your, who's your teacher. Are they actually examining their own biases? Because that matters because 
you know, a wealthy, I say affluent, you know, white teachers teaching affluent white students means that when we're talking about the Enneagram, our examples come from the people that we work with. Yeah. And so if that's who they're working with, then those are the examples that they're going to have. And that might not resonate with, uh, you know, a black brother from the hood or, you know, a, a black woman who I, you know, I've been around white people my whole life, but still was like, that's not me, you know? And so the examples, I, I always bring it back to, these are the core parts of the Enneagram. And we're going to talk about the core parts. And I want you to figure out how you, how this looks in your life. Mm. Don't let someone just, tell you in a book or, and believe that as gospel truth, you know, there's, there's like five or five, about five things that are core to the type. And then the others are descriptions that teachers give us to try to help us understand or, or see the type at play in our lives. And sometimes the teachers miss it and we just have to find it on our own. Right. Right. I think, and I think that's really, really important. Um, one thing that I will say too about the trauma, I, one reason I love, I love dealing, doing, um, trauma work with the Enneagram is because it gives you space. You, you know, if you're dealing with trauma, like your, your nervous system is so reactive and it's giving you that space between, oh, this is the way that I acted out. Oh, I was unsafe. So I tell people when they feel like their type is showing up in a specific way or they're triggered. And they're like doing something that they hate about their type or that they dislike. I'm like, you were, your type was trying to keep you safe. Why were you feeling unsafe? Mm. So for me, what, when I utilize it, it helps create some distance. Like, oh, I can look back and say, you know, my fixation of vengeance was in full force as a type eight. What, what are the fears that I could have experienced? And that just helps to create some space so we can go deeper, you know, yeah. as we're looking at the trauma, as we're looking at our, our ideas of, of what, what does make us feel safe in the world. So I think, you know, it, the Enneagram provides so much. And I, and I tell people all the time, it is, Enneagram work is anti-racism work. And if we only do it to somehow... Um, make ourselves better or receive, you know, receive some ascendant status spiritually. Mm-hmm. And we're neglecting the impact of, uh, you know, of real life on ourselves and on our communities, then it is not worth doing. So we always are looking not just at what, what is my type and how am I impacted, but how is the way that I show up in my type impacting the world and is it leading to liberation so basically hire coach who's very well thrust in this like jessica folks before you do it jessica. Otherwise, just, yeah. hire, go, just hire jessica you might go the, yeah hire jessica, yeah, jessica what like, we, you need help people need help with that you know what i mean to yeah yeah but i but if like in summary what you're doing is you're healing like you're the guide for people to heal themselves so you yeah. use the tool of enneagram to go deeper into really understanding who we are and i i'm totally with you i do think that when black women heal the world will heal because the black black women tita and i talk about this all the time but black women have done so much 
in in this world in this country to forge ahead like the the last um you know elections are we could go on and on i, I feel like we're gonna no, respect it what did you say the, i said do all the work and everyone's like great we can stand on their shoulders this is the heavy no highly disrespected yeah the heavy lifting has come so far like the suffrages the the most recent recent election like women's empowerment and this is the way of the the feminine right like so get get beside get behind your black women in your life because things are coming and we need change so jessica man you can't just listen to black women after the fact and thank them for all of their hard work listen to us when we are heralding the fact that danger is ahead because we are always heralding that danger is ahead, especially in the context of the United States. You know, black women are responsible for raising <laughs> like America. Black women are responsible for raising America yeah. and black women's voices have been- People don't know that they raise those white kids, okay? Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. I'm just yeah. saying a lot of those white kids before they got to a certain age where they were brainwashed, yeah, yeah. they yeah. actually were very, I think even more resilient, more like understanding of the black culture, black race, appreciating their mammies, whatever they call them. But then unfortunately they got older than they got around other people, older people than them who were able to brainwash them. And then they forgot about how that black woman was actually really strong or they did know that she was really strong and like, you know what? She's really strong. They're really strong. So Let's keep up the supremacy because we actually know what to do. Yeah, <laughs> let's exploit them. Wow. They are too strong. They're going to overtake us. So let's pull them down. Let's keep them down. Instead of looking know. at the collaboration and the unification that we can do as a whole. But, okay, uh, that was the black woman. We got the juice. We know the way. Yeah, it's, it's coming. So it is. amplify their voices. Uh, Jessica, how can people find you? Um, probably the best way is over on my IG, which mm. is, I have a business one and a personal one. My business one is oh, Jessica my. D. Dixon coaching. And my personal one is just my name, Jessica D. Dixon. It's very simple. If you want more, uh, spice, you can follow my, my <laughs> personal one. Um, and if you want more business, you can just follow my, my business one. That's but I do. I do. And if you're in San Diego, go to one of her comp body compact. Co oh my gosh! Yes, body comp. She teaches body combat. Yeah. Combat. Wait. Combat. Ooh, body ooh, combat. Ooh, yeah, it's an MMA inspired cardio class. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I one of one of the one of the greatest gifts that I had. Um, since I've been teaching, I just started teaching again after a year in March and. Um, there were four older Asian women and it was right around the time when the, you know, the shooting in Atlanta happened and um, just being able to, to teach them. And, you know, I'm like, you, you strike the nose with the big knuckles. Like, this is what you're aiming for. Like to give the, one of the reasons that I love body combat is that it helps us develop our own sense of safety within ourselves. Mm. And that ultimately is the work that I'm doing with everyone. Right. But like in body combat, it's just this beautiful, like, 
all right, grab their hair and wail, like go for it. You know what I mean? Like it just helps. It's non-contact, but there's something beautiful about being able to denounce that, um, you know, anti-Asian hate and to be able to lead people in creating that sense of safety within themselves. Cause I'm just the guide there. They have to be the ones who do it. So I just, I love it. If you I teach at the YMCA, come find me. Oh my gosh. The one that's not that easy for the lady to suck that guy in the nose. Okay. (laughs) Oh my God. I love her so much. (laughs) I love her so much. (laughs) Okay. Tita, how can they find us? Yes. Well, they can find us at blackgirlwhitegirlconversations.com. And when they get to our website, they can either click on the button to get to our YouTube channel and then subscribe there. And or click on our anchor button to get to our Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, whatever, how you want to listen, you can get to us there as well. And then we have IG, which is a black girl, a white girl. And you can find us there. Um, where else can they? I think that's, oh, and subscribe to our newsletter because yeah. as you see, you do get some other insights. Um, on our newsletter that we don't really have on our platform. So in order to know about those things, you've got to subscribe. And if you're already listening, and if this is a one-off, subscribe, follow, share. If you want to learn more about how to have the difficult conversations, how to be an anti-racist, how to connect with amazing women like Jessica, spread the message. Thanks, Jessica. You're awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It truly has been a pleasure. Thank you for filling our mission because we, it's not just, I don't represent every black person, every black experience. And Stephanie doesn't represent any black person, but (laughs) doesn't represent any white, every white person's experience. So it's always good to bring on different perspectives. There's a lot that I was actually able to um, gain from you and learn. So Thank you so much. Yay. Yay. Thank you. Oh, (laughs) 